You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, uh, delighted to have you with us today. Mark Gillette's here on staff as lay canon theologian, um, and uh, he teaches at Beeson Divinity School at Sanford University. Um, what's, what is it again? Hebrew Bible? Sure. sure? Okay. Does that sound good enough? He, he's a Bible scholar. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, usually I have Mark teach the lesson that Craig taught in terms of the sufficiency of Scripture. The topic today, if you haven't been to the service, is... Uh, Andrew's sermon on sola scriptura, um, but uh, we, the dates didn't work out, and I said, well, how about this lesson? I think it has everything to do with the Bible still, because we're going through last lesson and today just sort of sweeping broad strokes of what are the four kind of narrative acts of of the Bible, um, and we see in the very beginning of Genesis, uh, God as creator, and the fall of creation, and all of, all of creation and humanity, and the ramifications of that throughout the rest of the Bible, but that all along God has had a plan uh, to redeem and restore the world. Um, and uh, so we've talked about the first bit of creation and fall, and Mark's going to talk to us about redemption and, and our future hope. And I'll hand the mic over to you. Well, welcome. Good to see you all this morning. Um, I I, uh, I have three points I want to cover, and I have them written out on my handy-dandy card. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is to put the car a little bit in reverse from what you talked about last week and move back to creation just for a second. I didn't I didn't hear the lesson. I'm assuming it was fantastic. Um, but one of the I, I've, I've been thinking about this with my students at Beeson, and I wanted to sort of draw it out for you all just a little bit this morning. Um, there's a there's a kind of long tradition, uh, maybe a hundred plus years now, in Old Testament studies, um, where the idea was that in in ancient Israel there was never really an independent doctrine of creation. In other words, creation was always a subset of Israel's view of redemption. That was that was a kind of a long view. So first of all, Israel identified themselves by the Exodus. And then their creation theology was a derivative of that overarching view of their redemption. Right, I just kind of put that out there. The challenge with that, though, is the fact that our Bible comes to us, the Old Testament canon comes to us with the book of Genesis first um, in every order, in every Bible, whether it's the Hebrew Bible, the Greek translation, the Latin Bible that you heard about today in the sermon, your English Bibles. I mean, there's there are no Bibles that don't start without... Uh, the book of, of Genesis. Um, and wh- how does the book of Genesis begin? The book of Genesis begins with an account of creation. Genesis 1, uh, which I think might be understood as an external account of creation. Uh, we're kind of looking in at what God did in that first creation account. And then the second creation account in Genesis 2 is a kind of internal look at the dynamics of what happened within the created order as it moves to Adam and Eve eating the fruit and, and the fall. Um, so, so you say, Jenna, what's the big deal on this? Here's what I think is the big deal. And actually, this has become a bigger deal to me over the past couple of years. That's why I wanted to share with you all. The, the way in which the Bible comes to us and its doctrine of creation tells us that despite or whatever Israel's history might have been, that the doctrine of creation has its own integrity. 
It's a doctrine that needs to be affirmed in its own right. It's, it's central to God's revelation of himself as creator first and foremost. And then he moves to the relationship that he has with humanity from the standpoint of that creation. But creation has its own integrity. Why do I say that's important? I think it's really important because today's lesson is a talk about restoration and future hope. Um, last week's talk was the bad news. Uh, all of us are sinners. We read the narrative in Genesis chapter 3. We see Adam and Eve partaking of the fruit. We see Adam and Eve wanting to be like God and buying into the temptation that the serpent offered to them. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you, when you read that story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, I think the Bible wants you to see your own face on Adam and your own face on Eve. In other words, before we start throwing anything at them for what they deliver to us, namely, you know, sinful humanity, um, I think the narratives want us to know, you know what, you, you, you are in that story, you would have done the same thing, uh, given that if you were in that same scenario. That's all the bad news. Um, the good news is what God then does in response to the fall and rebellion of humanity. And um, so a few things about that, but before we turn to that, back to this independent doctrine of creation. God's activity after the fall is an activity that's giving himself to the redemption of humanity, but also the redemption of all of creation. And creation longs for the coming of Christ, for it to be made whole again. This is, this is rather wild. Um, and Jesus intimates things like this, even um, in his own narrative story and some of the things that he says. Remember, he says, if you don't praise me, even the what? The rocks will cry out and praise me. Um, Romans chapter 8 talks about all of creation groaning um, for the spirit to come and to make all things new. Um, Colossians chapter 1 talks about the atoning work of Jesus Christ having a spillover effect in that it affects the whole of the created order. All of it is, um, is going to be renewed uh, cosmically in Jesus Christ. So when you think about Jesus hanging on a cross between heaven and hell, we need to think about ourselves, our own humanity in that moment. The fact that we are sinners in need of what Jesus is doing for us in his active and his passive obedience. I, I need, I'm a beggar at the foot of the cross in need of what Jesus is doing. But I also think the Bible wants us to have a cosmic view of the implications of what Jesus did on the cross. He is restoring all of creation, all of it to himself in a way to kind of get back to the creation as it was intended to be all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, I'll give you two, one, one unsophisticated and one maybe a little bit more sophisticated artistic reference on this. One would be the country song, Look How Far We've Had to Come uh, to Get Back Where We Started From. That's, that's the not very sophisticated one. Um, the other one is the, is the line from T.S. Eliot in the four quartets where he said, and the end of all things is to arrive at the beginning and to know it for the first time. Um, that's the kind of drama that the Bible brings you into when you enter into this story of redemption, when it has to do with Israel, when it has to do with Jesus, when it has to do with the church. God is restoring the whole of the created order to him. Um, and that's why when you get to the book of Revelation, John says, and I saw 
um, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven. The book of Revelation is a wild ride, right? But here you see the, 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 the new Jerusalem descending from heaven, and I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the former had passed away, and the new had been established. So with that said, on creation, uh, redemption, future hope, I want to talk a little bit about your view and our hope about what our future security is and our future hope. And that's this. We said it this morning. Um, we say it every Sunday we're together, whether it's in the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. All of those creeds end with this statement, something to the effect of, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Our future hope is a hope in the resurrection of the body and the restoration of our fallen and material world. Um, this has taken a long time for me to adjust the thinking of my own upbringing in Christianity. Because I think the upbringing that I know, of the kind of pietist world of my upbringing, was that the material world, um, trees and mountains, uh, doggies, uh, fishing, you know, the material world, um, our bodies are something that we need to be rescued from. Um, in fact, the kind of goal of humanity and Christianity is to be released from the tyranny of the body so that I, so that my soul can depart and be with Jesus. Um, that's the kind of world that I grew up in. And I, I sang a lot of hymns, frankly, growing up that so supported uh, that notion that really the goal is to die and to go to be with Jesus sort of absent the body. That was what, that was sort of the view. But that's a very, um, non-biblical view of the future. And let me say this as an aside, just kind of a doctrinal point that we can bat it around. I do believe once our human bodies cease to function and our human bodies die, that we do have soulish access and presence within um, the heavenly realm. What does that look like? What does it mean? It's, I don't know. It'll be great, but, I, I, but I, don't, I don't know what that's like. But I do believe that's true. But that's not the goal. The end goal is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. God made us, um, and he saw it, Genesis chapter 1, verse whatever. He saw male and female, and he said, that is good. God made us to have a bodily existence where our bodies and our souls are fit together in a world absence the tyranny and the deteriorating effects of sin. This is one of the things I love about the prophets of the Old Testament. And I don't know if you've, I mean, I, I realize people sort of commit to reading the Bibles and if they make it through Leviticus and Numbers, God bless you for that, by the way. Uh, if you do that, then you get to, you know, I don't know, Ezekiel and you're like, done, I'm out. I mean, it's too much. Um, but one of the things I love about the prophets, um, Isaiah chapter 2, Micah chapter 4, um, nestled in the, in the book of, of Zephaniah are these pictures of the future, future eras of universal peace. Think Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous speech. They will beat their swords into plowshares 
and their spears into pruning hooks. He's quoting Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. What does the future age look like in its purity and perfection? The absence of war, no fear, and a beautiful kind of agrarian existence. They sit under their vine and they drink their own wine, right? There, there's a scene in the book of Zephaniah where this is how the, how the future era of universal peace is portrayed. Old men and women sitting on a bench while children are playing around them. In other words, the resurrection of the dead and the life ever, everlasting, the restoration of all things, of all humanity, of the whole created order in God that Jesus affected for us in the cross will have a very material existence. Um, we will be bodied people. Um, and let me tell you what I, why I think this is pastorally important. I don't know if you've been in this situation before. And if you've said this, I've said it to in points in time. So, you know, we're, we're all forgiven. Um, but I, I've been in pastoral situations where, where people are at a funeral setting, um, maybe a wake that's an open casket. And in some sort of effort to be pastorally loving and sensitive in the moment because people are grieving and that's a hard moment, someone will say something to this effect. Well-meaning, but wrong. Um, don't. Uh, don't let that scene there or that body there trouble you. That's not them. It's just their, have you heard this? Their what? It's just their shell. Um, I, I've heard that a lot growing up to kind of make people feel better about a very hard moment. Um, and we know from, from the Bible, I believe, that that's not true. It's not just their shell. It's their body. And in the creative power of God, there's some organic relationship between this material body and our resurrected bodies. And we will enjoy life everlasting with the beauty of God's created order restored as it should be. And we will get to enjoy the, the goodness of this created world and all of its perfection absence the tyranny of sin. And think about what sin does to our relationships. Think about your relationships, the best of your relationships. When, when, you're, when your marriage is going well, right? Um, when there's peace. Um, when your children just seem to be on board this day. They weren't, they had, they never are, but today they are. And everything just seems to be coming together perfectly. Think about that particular moment and even that moment is weighed down by the reality of sin and the relationships that we bring to one another. Imagine a world without any of that. The goodness of our created world restored to the fullness of that. Um, there's, a, there's a scene in um, Mel Gibson's Passion uh, where, um, have you seen this movie? This is not, not fun, it's not a happy movie, it's hard, hard movie. I, I forgot that it's rated R, but it's rated R for a reason. Um, but there's a scene where Jesus falls down under the weight of his cross and his mother Mary comes to meet him on the Via Dolorosa. Their faces are literally inches apart, off, right off the ground as he's still under the weight of, his, of those wooden beams. Um, and Gibson makes, makes a kind of interpretive read on that moment. Gibson says, uh, puts on Jesus' lips there. It's not in the Gospels, but it's from the book of Revelation. He said, Behold, I'm making everything new. Everything new. That's the, that's the hope that we have in our Lord. That He's redeeming us. He's, re he's redeeming our bodies. He's saving our souls. And our hope is for a future world, a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation that's marked by His Lordship, His sovereignty, His goodness, absent the tyranny of sin. 
Here's another verse for you, maybe one that you all know. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he or she is a, and this is how all the translations go, and it's okay, he is a, or she is a new creation or a new creature. Um, I'm going to get geeky with you for a second on the Greek Bible. This is how I would translate that if it was left to me. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. In other words, we gloss that by saying things like, he or she is a new da-da-da. But it's very terse in the original. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. I think what Paul is telling us, based on another thing that he said in 1 Corinthians 15, that we are in the age of the resurrection of the dead now. When we say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, we're thinking about the future, and rightly so. That's a future hope. But it's a future hope, Paul wants you to know, grounded and rooted in a current reality. If Paul were to walk in here right now, well, we'd stop. But if he walked in here right now and we asked Paul, Paul, when will the age of the resurrection of the dead start? When, when's that going to happen? Paul's answer would be, you are in the age of the resurrection of the dead. And you say, well, how is that so? He said, well, I want to tell you two ways that you know it's so. Number one, Jesus is raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. And here's the second way that you know that you're in the age of the resurrection of the dead. Because men and women are being converted to Jesus Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's a kind of proleptic future view in the current moment of what will be in its totality when we see the new Jerusalem descending from heaven and coming onto this earth and making all things all things new. So we're wrapped up. I don't know if you think about it this way, but the way the Bible presents this is we're wrapped up in a cosmic drama. Now, I know that we're kind of lost in the drama of our domestic realities. You know, I, I have a drama of um, four children. You know, I mean, that's my life. I mean, I sort of live in that. Got a baseball game this afternoon practices out the wazoo. I mean, that, that's the drama of our existence. But God wants us to sort of lift our eyes, I believe, out of the warp and woof of our daily existence every once in a while to recognize that, you know what? We are in a cosmic drama, right in the middle of it, because we are in Jesus Christ. We're in Him. We look to Him in faith, and we recognize that Jesus did come to save us to save our souls and to redeem our bodies. He did do that. And he also came to make his whole created order right again. And we're in the middle of that. We're the guarantee, the promise that what God is doing will be fulfilled. We're the kind of down payment on that of what will be in fullness um, in time. Um, so that that's helped me think in very different ways about what, what restoration and resurrection look like. It's, it's the importance of creation right out of the gate of the Bible um, that then brings us to the hope that God is going to restore all things in a new creation that's material and beautiful. I mean, when I joke with people that baseball is going to be in heaven. Um, it's my favorite game because I know it's God's favorite game. Um, but but I, really, I mean that. I know it sounds like I really mean it. Um, fishing, like I, I haven't been fishing in months 
Um, but we're going to, that's there. And, I mean, in other words, it's, it's going to be that kind of material existence times 10 to the 100th power. And that, that brings a lot of hope, I think, in a world, again, that's marked by the decay and the deteriorating effects of sin. Let me give you one personal story on this, and then I'll stop. Um, several years ago, it's been three years ago now, a dear friend of ours, um, I've shared this in other contexts, but I don't think I have with you all, a dear friend of ours was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, and those of you who are, I mean, you know that it, that's, that's, that's the worst cancer news I think you get, um, pancreatic cancer. And they did the Whipple surgery on our friend. His, his name's Ron Hawkins. I'll just give you a background. Ron Hawkins taught me Sunday school in the eighth grade. I went to the beach every summer with him. Um, I, I married both of his daughters, um, participated in their weddings. We, I mean, we're, like, they were like second family. When Naomi and I lived overseas in the UK, they flew us down to London and Rome, and we spent, you know, two weeks with them kind of backpacking. We weren't backpacking, they, they lived in nice places, but, you know, going through Europe. And, and so th- these are just like second family to, to me. And now Ron Hawkins is facing death. So he goes through all the treatments that he can, and we're at the beach, and we didn't know it at the time, but we're at the beach July, or was it or August? I think it was actually late July 2016, right? Um, so we're talking, and he, and he dies um, in the first week of October. We didn't know this then, but he's, he's going to pass away. We're, we're very, he's very ill. He's very uncomfortable. And I knew I needed to have a serious conversation with Mr. Hawkins, right? And just praying for an opportunity to have this kind of conversation. I knew he was a deep man of faith, but we needed to talk about ultimate things. So we're sitting under a canopy on the beach there, Anna Maria Island in Florida. Um, our, my kids are playing, his grandkids are playing, but no one's around. It's just, it's just the two of us. At that point in time, his wife was still hopeful for some treatment. I mean, we all hold on to things, and, and, and understandably so, but he knew that this was, it was over. Um, and so we started to talk very candidly with each other under that tent. And I said, okay, Mr. Hawkins, um, tell me about the state of your soul. We, we talked a little bit about that. And I said, all right, and all right Mr. Hawkins, I also want you to, I want to know, what do you, how do you want me to love your wife and daughters when you're gone? What do you want? Because we needed to talk about his funeral. How do, what, do you, what do you want? I'll never forget it. This was a gospel word to me. It was so everything that we've been talking about this morning came out of his lips in that, in that moment. He said, Mark, I want them to know that we have a future together. I want them to know that. Um, and it was as if the whole of the Bible, you know, and God's promises in Jesus sort of centered around that simple statement. I want them to know that we have a future together. This is going to come to them when I die. It's going to come like a big period in their existence. Um, the grief is manifest to this day deeply in his daughters and his wife, to, to, to this day. But he says, I want them to know it's not a period. It's a semicolon. Um, it's, it's not a cul-de-sac. It's a, it's a temporary holding pattern for what our ultimate hope is as those who put their faith in Jesus, namely... I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Okay? That's my 20 minutes. What do you want to talk about? Let's bat this around. You got questions about this or want to talk about soul sleep? Just joking. I don't, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to talk about? Any questions? Thoughts? I'm just struck with uh, the, 
the evangelistic impact of what you're talking about because so often we package evangelism as converting a person so that they can spend eternity in heaven thinking of clouds and harps. Yeah. And on the other side of their ear is all the rock songs saying hell's going to be a party. Yeah. So I'm just thinking we're not we're not giving a full picture. Yeah. Yeah, there's a famous Far Side cartoon. I'll, I'll remember this, where they have two. Um, th- those chairs are a diocesan joke. I'm sure there's somebody behind this. Um, the, the, where they, I think there were two 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 figures sitting on a cloud, and one of them said, and the caption was Far Side cartoon. If I would have known heaven was so boring, I would have brought a magazine. Um, you know, and I, I, I think there is very much that idea out there, the kind of cloud, ethereal existence. That's not the portrayal of the new heavens and the new earth in the Bible. The portrayal of something that's very material um, and, and three-dimensional. Yeah. It's funny, hell's not really given that kind of dimensional space. That, that's, I've never thought about that, but I have to pursue that. I mean, hell's not presented necessarily within that same sort of Sort of detail. That's an interesting juxtaposition, actually. Any, any other questions or thoughts, or think something maybe you're angry about? Bueller, Bueller. There's a, there's a reason. Now I'll give a sort of, I guess a, a rejoinder to this, but I think there's a, there is a legitimate reason why the Roman Catholic tradition has viewed cremation as a kind of verboten or forbidden activity, um, and I think it's related to this. Um, the problem with that, of course, is we all know that our material bodies, over centuries or so, eventually get to that same point. I mean, these things break down. Uh, not to not to go Debbie Downer on you this morning, but um, I took the Scientific American magazine for a couple of years until I got honest with myself that I wasn't really reading it um, and stopped the subscription. But I, there was one that came out. Apparently, this, the National Center for the Study of How Our Bodies Deteriorate is in Tennessee, the Oak Ridge something, the other laboratory. Do any of you guys know, know about this? Um, and I, I was complete, I mean, they did this whole piece in Scientific American on the decomposition of the human body. It was riveting, I mean, fascinating. And this is the one takeaway that I'll never forget. Um, given the right conditions of humidity and moisture and heat, given the right conditions, the human body, absence, of course, any embalming, can be two weeks away from the skeletal phase. Can you imagine that? I mean, Genelette keels over today in the South American jungle 
And it's possible, given the right circumstances, that in two weeks there will be nothing on me but sort of a skeletal. That That's a humbling thing, I think, right? Um, and then, of course, bones deteriorate over time. So I, I have to believe, again, it's beyond the comprehensions of my own rational faculties, but I have to believe that God as creator who took man from dust, recognizing that man does return to dust, has the wherewithal to gather those molecular structures back together in in whatever way he will do. Um, But I do believe that there is some organic relationship. People recognize one another on the far side of the, you know, from death into the, there's some sort of intimation of of a recognition and yet differentiation too. So we have bodies that have some sort of continuity with our earthly body, but a, a, a massive amount of discontinuity as well. And there's a lot of mystery here. I think we just have to be very careful about getting too definitive, but there's something related to our bodies. And I think there's also something related to our care of creation in this world as well. I mean, I think there are there are environmental implications to this view of creation. See, I kind of grew up in a world... Um, that understood that the whole, this whole thing's going up in a big, you know, ball of fire and, and, you know, caring about the created order and the trees and the tides and whatever. I mean, that's like polishing brass on the Titanic. You know, don't waste your time. Um, so I, I, I don't think that's the right view of creation either, given the way in which the Bible presents it with, again, with its own integrity. Yeah. Here now, which is it's hard to understand what that means because we tend to think of a future hope of when we're in heaven, then it'll be. Yeah. Then, then that's when the work happens. But really, the work is happening now, day yeah. to day. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. There seems to be this sort of juxtaposition that you find in Paul um, between the renewal of our inner person. Um, which again is organically linked to our outer body. You can't you can't disassociate those two, but a kind of renewal of our inner person while recognizing the deteriorating effects of our outer person. I mean, we we're all getting older. Um, that's sin, right? I mean, the decay of yes, sin is a sin. that's right, exactly. And I think that's where you get the sort of overlap of the ages that we live in. Our bodies attest to us that we still live in the old age. I was hitting ground balls to my oldest son last night in our side little field, little yard, and he was, and I, so I'm hitting him, boom, boom, boom. And he's, all right, Dad, let me hit you a few. Okay, you know, so I'm, I go down there, and I'm, I'm, I've got my glove out, and he fires one to my left. As an 18-year-old, I would have eaten that thing up, right? Um, I, I couldn't even move, I couldn't even get there. And I just looked at my son, and I, he put his head down and went, you know, like that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know what? I mean, I got, a, I got, a, I got an older body now, um, and it isn't going to get better. I mean, I have all these hopes about it getting better, but I'm, I'm, I'm. Some, I joke, you know, some people are in shape, and some people are in a shape. I'm going to be the latter. I mean, that's going to be me. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's the, the fact that our bodies are deteriorating, and yet our faith persists through that is an indication that we live in the overlap of the ages. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. Let me close this in prayer then. So, Father, um, there's so much that we don't know about the future. But we do know you're already there. Um, 
you won't be surprised when we arrive at the future because your existence is already in that place. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give us hope. Um, I don't know these dear folks here very well at all, um, but I, I, I imagine that they bring hurt into this room. Um, I imagine that they bring disappointment into this room. I imagine, Lord, that they know the breakdown of relationships. I imagine, Lord, that they understand what it is to have unfulfilled dreams. Um, and Lord, your servants through the history of the church have told us well that we experience those difficulties in this world to help us to know that this is not our final resting place, that we look forward to another time and another place where our bodies and our souls are linked in the material world, absent, Lord, sin and its tyranny. And thank you, Lord, that what you're doing in our hearts by faith already witnesses to the fact that that's true, even when our bodies deteriorate. So encourage these dear friends here. Let them know, Lord, that the gospel is true and that it's true for them and that their hope, Lord, is a secure hope because you, Jesus, are already bodily raised from the dead. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.